Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer, and today we welcome in A's pitching coach Scott Emerson as his team heads into the 2020 season, what the pitching staff might look like, and his thoughts on what some of the Astros players might have been doing against A's pitchers over the last few years. Coming up on A's Plus. Today on Ace Plus, we welcome in A's pitching coach Scott Emerson, always one of our favorites. Uh, and we've got an interesting new season ahead of the A's this year, Scott. And unlike last year, when you guys didn't even necessarily know what your rotation was going to be heading into the spring at points, uh, you come in with a full rotation. Almost, you know, the roster in general is almost completely back. But for pitching coach, knowing exactly what you're working with with the rotation, what's that like for you? Well, one, you know, familiarity, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be able to build off of last year. You know, when you get so many different pieces every year, you kind of got to introduce yourselves to the guys and figure out who they are and what they want to do and have them gain your trust. So hopefully I got the guys trust right now and, and we can go out there and we can take our pitching to another level right out of the gate. So it's important. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. You obviously have two rookies who are slated to be in the rotation, um, but the front office, Bob Melvin, everybody have said Lizardo and Puck will both be starters. The fact that they both came up at the end of last year and got experience, how important was for that was that for them, even though it was in the bullpen to some extent, um, how important was that for them coming into this year that they now have gotten a little bit of big league experience? Well, I think anytime you can get your feet wet in a major league game, you gain a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge. And uh, for those two guys, they, you know, they pitched in some important games. And Lazardo, you know, pitched that last game of the season. And, and uh, we expect a lot of things out of them this year. But, uh, you know, you got to pitch the games. you got to start. They haven't started yet. So I'm excited for both of them because they're high-level, you know, pitchers, you know. I don't think we have to call them prospects anymore. I think we know who they are. I think we know how good their stuff is. On paper, it's off the charts. These two guys, you know, hopefully can get out there and be who they are. But last year helped them breathe a little bit i always talk about that i I think pitchers you know they they don't really tell you who they are until they they get out there 30 or 40 times you know you know the first couple games are getting used to the baseballs now that triple a has the big league ball so at least that helps but you know the fans the the excitement that you know this is what they grew up wanting to be sometimes they got that 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 apple in the throat and they're nervous and they're shaking a little bit uh Though I didn't really see either one of them nervous last year. Yeah, they, they didn't really seem nervous last year. But now when you're starting and, and now you've got expectations thrown on you. So, you know, my job is just to, you know, remind him. I, I, I use the, the, um, the movie Hoosiers when the, they put Ollie on the shoulders and say that the basket's still 10 feet high. You know, I use the same line all the time. It's, it's 60 feet, 6 inches, no matter where you're pitching if you're on a real field. So, you know, the hitter's at your mercy. You have the baseball. So just do the things that you do, and if we have to adjust, we'll adjust. Lizardo was looks so dominating, even coming in relief, which is a completely uh, a role that he really had never done at all before. Um, is that what fans can expect from him going back now to a starting role? Is that kind of pitcher? I, obviously, you know, and if you're going in for one inning, you're probably going to pitch a little bit differently than you would if you're, you know, you're looking at five innings. But, but what are you expecting from him? Well, I, I expect the same intensity out of him. That's the one thing you don't want to lose. I remember when um, I had Andrew Bailey 
uh, in double-A and he struggled the first half of the season and we put him in the bullpen, you know, my intentions were just put Bailey in the bullpen to raise that intensity. I, did, I thought he paced himself too much and uh, he ended up being awesome and they never put him back into the relief or the starting role because he was so dominant. So. By, by seeing Lazardo uh, come out with that, that fire, you know, I think that's what number one pitchers in the game do. They have that fire that they just have it for nine innings. I think if you look at most of these closers in the game uh, and, and if it wasn't for an arm injury, you would think that they could go out there for nine innings and compete. And you look at some of the great pitchers, and I use Kurt Schilling. I use Nolan Ryan. I use Randy Johnson. I use Roger Clemens. All those guys I kind of grew up with. You know, I, I, I started my career pitching after them and ended before them. That's how great they were. But you, though, those guys would be unbelievable closers as well. But they took that quote-unquote closers mentality and went out there and got themselves in enough physical shape and, and mentally tough to last as long as they could go nine innings, and they became great pitchers. So I'm hoping that out of Puck and Lazardo. Now, um, Frankie Montas obviously missed some of last season, a big chunk of it really when he had the suspension, came back for the one game at the end, end of the season. But I think he he now kind of goes a little bit under the radar. I think people have forgotten about him to a little bit to some extent. But he was your best starter before he got suspended. What are your thoughts about Frankie and what he might be looking at for 2020? Well, I, I got high expectations for Frankie. I mean, he added the split. Uh, we made the slider a little bit shorter and quicker. Uh, and you know he's able to get a little bit more swing and miss but now i think he's able to breathe he's got those those years behind him where i think okay he knows he can belong here he knows he can pitch he can breathe out there i think he's got top-notch stuff uh, his ball moves uh, we're working on elevation a little bit more you know the sinker is kind of you know a lot of people don't like sinkers anymore but uh, when you have good ones, we'll throw them. And when you got Simeon and, and Chappie on that side of the field and Ole on the other side of the field, you know, th that pitch still becomes relevant for us. Maybe not as much a as, they, as we want it, but you know, we can work in a little bit four seamers. And if that works, you might get a little bit more swing and miss off the split down below. So I'm looking for great things out of him. I mean, he had a heck of a season last year and uh, he became a great competitor. And, uh, you know, he's not flying under the radar for me. I, I think this guy, I think the world of Frankie Montas. Yeah, he might have been an all-star last year had it not been for the suspension. He was kind of heading that direction. Uh, Shamania comes back in September and is absolutely dominating after, you know, having the shoulder surgery the year before. There had been talk, um, you know, initially that he might not even pitch last year. For him to come back in September and to be as good as he was, how encouraging is that for you now looking at him being healthy for all of this upcoming season, you know, it, you know knock on wood? I think it's a, one is a, a testament to his work habits. And Brian Schulman, our, our, uh, one of our athletic trainers who spent a lot of time with Sean throughout the course of the season to get him to be able to pitch last year was, was amazing. But, but Sean is a, is a guy that uh, he's full of energy. He'll bring a lot of energy to the pitching staff, as you know. Uh, he's another funny guy that we got, so he, he'll, he'll keep the clubhouse loose. But he's an ultimate competitor. This guy wants to pitch. He wants the baseball, and he'll learn from his experiences last year. You know, my dad gave me a – I shot a half-court shot one time and missed, and we lost the game, and I cried going home. And my dad stopped the car and said, we don't cry. 
I'd rather have the, the son who wants to take the shot and miss than the son who doesn't want to take the shot. And Sean Manaya was up for the wild card game. He was ready for the wild card game. We, it just didn't work out the way we hoped it to. But he wanted to baseball, and that's what I, I love about Sean Manaya. Coming up after the break, Scott Emerson will talk a little bit more about the Astros sign-stealing scandal and how technology is impacting the game. Mike Fires uh, obviously has uh, been at a, the center of the controversy with the Astros scandal. He's uh, There were several people who came out and talked to Major League Baseball for their investigation. He is the only person that um, put his name to any of the allegations, and the team has been very supportive. The fans during FanFest have been very supportive. Um, what are your thoughts on, first of all, Mike, kind of what he did, uh, the situation he finds himself in, and uh, potentially does that affect him at all in, in terms of doing his job on the mound? Well, I, I wouldn't think so. You, you know, uh, before we even had Mike Fires, we heard banging. I can tell you that right now. And, and other teams, uh, coaches that I knew on other teams, we talked about it. it. It went through the whole system. And I think that's when teams became paranoid, you know, about maybe any team doing it I you know I know that you know we it really came back on the Astros uh, Mike confirmed it uh, obviously but we, we knew about it in 18 we had an incident in 18 where we heard the banging uh, and that's before even Mike even mentioned it to openly to the public but I mean listen you know but the Astros wanted to keep the secret too. They should have kept Mike Fires. You know, they I mean, kept all their players, I, I mean, guess. they should have kept all their <laughs> players. And, and the thing that you know, the players, I'll let the players in Major League Baseball do all the judging of, of it. But what I feel bad are, are for some people who feel like they lost their jobs because of this. Right. You know, I, I look at Joe Girardi, manager of the Yankees. He lost. They lost Game Seven of that playoff, and next thing you know, he's not a manager in the major leagues anymore of of, of the New York Yankees and. But one of the things that is kind of disturbing is, uh, you know, we take batting practice and the batting practice pitchers have an L screen. Mm -hmm. And I talk about if hitting is timing and pitching is disruption of timing and they know what's coming, we're not disrupting their timing and our pitchers are out in the middle of the open. You know, line drives can hit, you know, they, they, put, they put a lot of people at risk by, by knowing what's coming. So, you know, I think Major League Baseball has done a great job of dealing with it. I don't blame Mike Fires for telling his team. I mean, when when he, you know, he didn't just tell the Oakland Athletics. He went to the Detroit Tigers after that. He told the Tigers right. also they knew. Uh, so, you know, people around baseball knew about it. It just kind of came out in, in, the, in the open, and, and Major League Baseball did its investigation, and they're handling it. Yeah. I thought it was interesting what Sean Doolittle said a week or two ago um, to the effect that the Nationals had so many different signs. Obviously, they did go on to win that World Series against the Astros, but he said as a pitcher, you know, that can be you're trying to concentrate in a big situation and you've got all these, you know, different signs for different situations, different any, you know, different guys. Um, how much how difficult is it when you have to prepare knowing that a team might be getting your signs and adding that extra layer of complexity does it make a pitcher's job even harder well it, it makes for a longer game yeah. you know i could tell you one time in 18 when we heard some stuff 
we went to a lot of multiple signs the next day and and i i believe we could have i don't i'm not 100 percent sure if we threw a shutout we won the game and pitched really good in like four hours and 55 minutes so uh you know by by cleaning this up i hope the pace of play picks up a little bit we don't have to do all this stuff uh you know if you want to you know for me i'd take the whole video out of the out of the off the you can't go watch video during the game yeah. you got to sit in the dugout and be a teammate watch the game maybe run upstairs and use the facility if you have to but you know and use the technology after the game to learn what you right. did you know that would be a great rule for me but um you know if if they're going to open it up and you're going to be able to i i mean i go up there in the third inning and i i watch us pitch the first three innings because i can right you know and um yeah, I just think that it would be a lot more fun if we just played baseball. Right. You know, that's what I think we all want. I think that's what most of the teams in the league want. Right. We want to go out there and be competitive, but uh, be kind of pure to the game. Right. I, I, I heard the last couple of years, more than ever, pitchers after a bad outing, and not even necessarily just against Houston, um, where they would say kind of like, you know, the next day or two, like, I thought maybe I was tipping my pitches because the reactions I was getting on some pitches, but I went and looked at the video and I can't find anything. And then a, a few catchers who were like, I, you know, maybe I was giving something away. I don't know what. It seems like there was an added layer of frustration for some players, uh, maybe as a result of some things like this. Well, you know, I do know uh, that some, some teams around the league have a system that's uh, 16, 18 cameras up around the stadium. And uh, it's supposed to be focused on pitchers and their, their movements. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I've been saying, well, if, if we had those cameras, don't you think that we would link them up to seeing if his elbow flares a tad on a breaking ball or if his elbow tad, you know? So, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of that going on. Uh, I, there's a lot of um, the virtual reality stuff going on. Look, we don't have we don't have those cameras. We don't have a virtual reality. You know, I, I'm hearing that some teams are literally watching our guy pitch wearing virtual reality glasses, and they can they can have the guy up you know in the glasses and they're taking their their swings accordingly, or they're 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 just watching his pitches come at them in real time using a virtual reality type uh, system. So, I mean, if you're watching Sean Manaya in glasses for 20 minutes and then you finally see him in the game, you at least feel like you, you got his timing down. So all that stuff, uh, it's fine. Maybe that's why the hitters are getting better. I, you know, I've been telling guys we're getting all this new technology, but earn run averages aren't really getting better. Right. You know, so uh, it's really not helping the pitchers. You know, the rap sodos, the track, and all this stuff. We're getting collecting data. I want if we're collecting data with all this great technology, I don't want guys getting hurt, and I want our our, our pitching to, to lower their ERAs, which I think we've been fairly successful over the last couple of years of kind of knocking our ERA down a little bit. Not that ERA is the great you know statistic, but that is a long time statistic that is used to to measure a staff, and um, you know my job in our organization, we like to stay ahead of the curve a little bit in in. In that, and I think uh, you know we got good analysts in Pike Goldschmidt and Ben Lowry, and I think that you know one of our things is to try to be ahead of the curve in technology. You know, pitchers throw 58% of first pitch strikes. I want us to throw 61, 62. I want us to be a little bit better. You know, I'm not going to say 70% because I think that's unrealistic. But uh, you know, guys throw 
you know, 63% strikes. Hey, let's throw 64s and 65s. And let's win certain counts, and that's what we want to do. That's that's where the technology is good for me. You, um, uh, we've talked about the rotation. You have one really interesting guy um, for me on the team, Chris Bassett, who is kind of pitched in every role, really pitched well last year as a starter, but can be an emergency starter, can pitch in middle relief, can, you know, do a lot of things. How do you see Chris Bassett and his role this year? How, how, you, how valuable is it to have a guy with experience who's been around and who uh, is capable of handling multiple roles like that? Well, I, I jokingly told him, I saw him last week, I jokingly said your role is uh, if you pitch good, you pitch long. If you pitch bad, you pitch short. But, uh, you know, uh, and, and I've said this a lot this offseason to a lot of people. Chris Bassett was an amazing person, an amazing competitor last year. He really turned the corner when last offseason we talked about his role. And I basically said, you know, we said, you know, we don't know what it is. You got to be a pitcher. You got to come in with the mindset. And one time uh, last offseason, he called me and said, just pitch me whenever. I don't care what my role is. And I think he turned the corner then. And, and if you look at Chris Bassett, he, he's a team player. He wants to win games. He doesn't care what his role is. I know early in his career, he, you know, you always want to start because you think starting's the glamorous spot in, on the team. And, and maybe he struggled a little bit in that role. But I think last year when he finally said, just I'll do whatever. And, and that's probably where he's going to be at this year. We're going to come into camp. You know, we're going to give him his innings. We're not just going to make him a one-inning reliever. You know, you know, I want him to be in the rotation. I want all the guys that we're working as starters to be in the rotation. Yeah. And whatever pans out, pans out. Yeah. So great, uh, great depth, or if you even if you want to, maybe a sixth man or a right. backing, or you can do a lot of different things. We can do a lot of different things. Him and and Daniel Magnan are both out of options. So, you know, you know, uh, from a selfish standpoint, you know, I want them to be good, right? Because I want to keep them. And Bassett and Mangdon have shown flashes of being really, really good. So that's the goal. Right. Well, Bassett also, if there's a, a you know, an idea of maybe limiting Lizardo and Puck's innings as necessary, you know, coming off of injury years, or well, but Puck's coming back from his second year after Tommy John. Obviously, Lizardo had the, the shoulder thing last year. Bassett could wind up really being kind of a guy who helps out in that respect too, I'm assuming. Yeah, he's like that five-wood, uh, that hybrid club, you know. You just kind of be ready for every situation. You might see him go long when they pit. We might five and dive somebody, and then Bassett finishes out the game. I mean, there's a lot of options and, and, and scenarios that we can do with these guys, and that's what versatility brings. If you have that versatility, you can help us, and, and that's important. Real quick, the state of your bullpen, how do you see things? It's mostly intact. You had TJ McFarlane. I, I suspect the team's probably going to look for maybe some veteran guys on non-roster deals. And um, you've got some kids potentially, you know, and, and maybe even Mangan is potentially a guy who could work in the bullpen. Uh, how do you see things there? Well, I think, one, we got a lot of strike throwers, and, and you love strike throwers because now you can depend on uh, all those guys to come in ball games and situations and throw strikes. So uh, if we go out and look for somebody else, that would be great too. But I'm very happy with the state of our bullpen. You know, you got Petit, who's the Iron Man down there. Soria, those guys got rubber arms. Liam Hendricks had a rubber arm last year, wanted to pitch as often as possible. And they came into their own. And I think, you know, as a whole on our, our pitching staff gets a little bit underrated. 
but you don't make the playoffs two years in a row uh, having a bad pitching staff. So we, we might not be, you know, elite per se, but the, these guys, they, they compete their butts off and they battle, and that's what's important to me. Well, the next time we talk, Scott, we will uh, we'll discuss the three-batter minimum rule. But uh, for now, we'll let you go. Thanks so much for joining us on Ace Plus. We got we to gotta talk about that one, Susan. Yeah, we do. Sorry, <laughs> right. you both. No. Thank you. Thanks again to Scott Emerson for joining us on A's Plus. Our producers today were G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We will be back again next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. Follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser, or you can email me at sslusser at sfchronicle.com. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.